This is the Masters of Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim Thiessen. And my name is Tom Jennings. And welcome back, Tom. This has been a long time. Yeah, it has been. I am. Um, yeah, I won't deny it. Uh, a few things were getting in the way of uh, recording podcasts, like buying a house and getting a job and finding a new girlfriend. Not in necessarily in that order. <laughs> it's all been a bit. Um, yeah, it's been a bit. A uh, bit, bit of a, a, a strange few months, but things are beginning to uh, settle down. So I'm currently, hopefully, should be in my new house in the next couple of weeks. And after that's done, I will be back uh, a lot more regular than I have been. Good news. And uh, with us today, we have uh, two guests that have uh, been on the show before. David Blakesley from Criterion Reflections blog and Eclipse Fury podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm very happy to be back, Joachim and Tom. It's good to be reconnected with you guys. I'm really excited about talking about this film today. Great. And Hunter Dusing from the Midnight Movie podcast. Thank you. Hey there. Uh, glad to be back. Good. Uh, today, we're talking about Silent Running. Uh, also known as Hippies Hate Humanity film. And um, I thought we could start with uh, start with you, David, um, because uh, none of us lived through the years of this release. <laughs> yeah. David, you're old. Tell us about Silent Running. Where was it like back in the day? Exactly. What are your earliest memories of Silent Running? My earliest memories. I, I did see it in its initial theatrical run back in whatever it was, 71, 72, um, hmm. I was fortunate as a child that my dad was into sci-fi, both uh, literature and, and cinema. In fact, one of my very earliest cinematic memories was seeing 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was like seven years old in the wow. Cinerama. And, you know, our family was not really financially suited to take everybody to the movies, but he just had to see that movie. And so he took me and I, of course, was just, you know, my mind was blown as a young kid and just... So many things I didn't even understand, but just the visual spectacle of it. So I, I, had I have a, a question about yeah. seeing that in the theater at seven yeah. years old. Did it scare the shit out of you? Oh, well, <laughs> because part of, parts I, of it I were, was yeah. terrified of that movie as a young boy. You well, <laughs> I, you know, I think I was just too overwhelmed to be consciously scared. It was just, you know, and again, I mean, going back to 2001, at that time, of course, the space program was in full swing and I was just the mm -hmm. kid watching the you know the gemini and then the apollo shots uh, from my earliest days just every time there was a launch uh you know we'd gather on the tv or as often as possible and so seeing it in bright colors i mean i i just figured at that age i was going to be uh, you know not an astronaut but somebody who would travel in space because hey look at right there 2001 you know so that that date always had this kind of significance to me you know seeing silent running was just another exercise in wonderment for me just again seeing these magnificent spaceships cruising across the the star field and and hmm. it also was you know i guess about that time i was about must have been 10 or 11 years old i was born in 61 so it was just kind of a a, a blending of technology and ecology uh this was before environmentalism was really a concept it was all about ecology you know the little e symbol if there and hmm. it was about you know taking care of the environment and you know anti-pollution uh, efforts were underway i think i was living in pittsburgh pennsylvania at the time which of course at that at, in that in those days was was really kind of coming out of the coal age where there was a lot of you know soot and smoke and toxic waste and they've really cleaned that city up quite a bit in the years since but that was a kind of a growing concern so the idea that you know humanity was using up its resources and you know overpopulation and 
you know, I was also seeing movies like The Omega Man and The Andromeda Strain and, you know, all that kind of futuristic kind of gloom and doom stuff that uh, made a pretty big impression on me that sometimes drastic measures need to be taken to, you know, to protect the environment, protect the animals. So, you know, my, my impressions of Silent Running were, were pretty strong and positive from both the, you know, the, the underlying message and just the coolness of space travel and, and what the future seemed to hold not in terms of just ordinary people being able to venture out into, uh, you know, into the outer limits of the solar system. So it was a it was quite a few years between when I saw it you know in the theater and then got the DVD back probably you know I probably wasn't until the two thousands where I got a chance to see it again but just brought back all kinds of great memories and I've really enjoyed the movie watched it numerous times ever since um, and I guess I'll just say my my comments today are based on the U S uh, region one DVD which I think has most of the same special features except for the booklet. But it's just uh, you know a little bit lower quality presentation, but it's still a pretty nice looking DVD for all that. Hmm. And uh, Tom, what about you? I know this is your uh, one of your favorites, sci-fi's. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't I, I didn't grow up watching Silent Running. Um, I I hadn't seen it until a few years ago, and I actually talked about it on my podcast because uh, obviously it came out on Blu-ray, and, and I watched it. And I mean, I won't deny it; I'm an absolute kind of green liberal type save the planet type of a person so it was a film that i think really kind of like resonated with me and i, I find it um you, you, there's an argument to me that it has kind of aged a little bit but i don't think it has i think its message is still as prominent as ever and i think that's what good science fiction does it manages to sort of kind of transcend time and this this one has for me and going back to it watching it um kind of in the week and today again it, it it's quite a manipulative film in a way. I think it knows exactly what it's doing, but it just works for me. And I, you know, I um, when I see a nuclear bomb being set up and then a fluffy rabbit, I get emotional. And this film <laughs> never, this film never, this film never fails to move me in that. And uh, you know, I don't really care about humans that much. Seeing robots, you know, like it, robots getting run over, that's always gonna, you know, turn me into a blubbering wreck. And you know, in that respect, silent running really hits the mark. And I, a few months ago, I went to a um. Uh, a, a film music night hosted by Mark Comode and he was like picking his um, favourite pieces of all time and had an up the Birmingham Philharmonic Orchestra with him and Silent Running was one of the films uh, that he had was playing pieces from it and you could tell that um, when he was talking about it his voice actually started to go a little bit he was like, getting so emotional thinking about those fluffy rabbits and I think, <laughs> I think it's a film that it does have that effect on some people I know some people who will watch it and say it's just a load of nonsense but um, you know, to me it's uh, I think it's it's one of my favorite science fiction films. I don't know if it would be kind of like one of my favorite films of all time, but certainly you know science fiction it would definitely be in my top ten. Did you hear Kerma talk with Doug Trumbull on his show? When it no, came out actually, I haven't. No, no. Oh, it's really good. Uh, but you could tell Kermode's a massive fan of this movie. Like he was yeah. telling him he likes it better than two thousand and one, and. Yeah, he did. He does make these comments, and when he introduced the music, he he said, "I'm going to talk it now. I'm going to talk about a science fiction film that's better than 2001." Um, anyone, any, and then he said, "Anyone who doesn't agree, anyone who doesn't agree, can leave now." Like one person, like got up and like stormed out with like a real kind of face on it. And it, was like, it was like, you know, come on. But uh, but Hunter, you're a Republican, so you hate animals, right? Yeah, and the I, environment. I, hate anim- and the I, environment. I wouldn't say I'm a Republican, but I, I'm kind of. I, I lean to the right, but I am not a green liberal type, and this movie moves me very deeply. Um, which yeah, is just to interject there, Hunter, I saw you with a picture of a deer you shot the other day, you piece <laughs> yeah, of shit. That's true. 
<laughs> like posing with it like it was like some kind of trophy, and I thought you better eat that. <laughs> I did. I, I had uh, part of it for breakfast yesterday, actually. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I had some sausage made. It was good. That's no, no, right. Okay. Well, just just as long as it wasn't for fun. That's the main thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually, I actually can't stand hunters who just like shoot a deer and then right just drag its carcass to get processed. I can't stand that. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to, you know, do use everything with it, <laughs> but mm, as right. much as possible. But. I saw this movie only a few years ago. I'd first heard of it. I mean, and I, I didn't really know of its existence uh, until Wally came out because I heard it was compared. Wally was compared to uh, uh, Silent Running a lot, and then I heard Silent Running. The premise was an influence on the the premise for Mystery Science Theater three thousand. The guy alone on a ship with robots. Um, yeah, those are great and, connections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, I saw it a few years ago, like Tom, um, I heard Kermode talking about it, singing its praises. And, uh, I think I watched it on Netflix instant. Cause you know, the name Doug Trumbull, you start to hear it a lot when you get into movies like 2001 and, um, he, you know, recently worked on tree of life, the Terrence Malick movie. Hmm. And, uh, so I watched it and I was really moved by it, uh, especially the final shot, like not so much the fluffy rabbits, but <laughs> the idea of like the last forest floating off into space with this like robot taking care of it, that just like, you know, reduced me to a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think I'm alone on this podcast of not really uh -oh. uh, liking this film. <laughs> uh -oh. um, well, you can um, leave now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming here, Kim. Yeah. We'll speak to you later. <laughs> I, um, the first time oh, I popped in the movie for this episode and um, the music started playing up. The Joan Baez. <laughs> well, yeah, that, yep. that's one yeah. of the hurdles that some of us have to get over. <laughs> yeah. Forests, Ooh. Flowers in my head. I mean, fuck Joan Baez. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got to be honest with you, Hunter, you're not doing it justice. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, it's an audible flashback to horror. Um, I mean, the soundtrack, it graded on me the first time I saw it. And it is one of the things I I need to mute this uh, film when I watch it. And, and I can enjoy it for the visuals and I can enjoy it for the, like the macro photography and uh, especially the flowers and the water drops at the beginning of the film. That's a That's very some, beautiful passage. Though. Yeah, I do like that. Definitely. And the, um, the, um, What's it called when they they use like the model shots of the ships oh, and yeah. stuff? Oh yeah, sure, sure. That is beautiful. So all that I can respond to, but um, I think the main concern for me is that it is such a one-sided uh, film that is it just hammers the point home again and again without much uh, nuance for me. Well, what do you think? What is that point? What is the point that's yeah, being I'm, I'm hammered? Curious. Tell me about it. Like the uh, the characters on the film, uh, the other three guys, for example, they're, they're very much caricatures. They're disposable, definitely. They're kind yeah. of lunkheads. They're, but, you know, I, I mean, I again, my high school years were a bit after this. But that was, uh, to me, I, I could identify with the Bruce Dern character. He's kind of the thoughtful, hippie you know, philosopher, really? philosopher type who who's trying to aspire to this higher principle and the other guys are just like 
you know, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> this this job <laughs> sucks. I want to go back home and let's just nuke it and get on but, get but, on back. Wait, but, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's just look at that because okay. obviously these guys are scientists or some sort of like caretakers. Yeah. So, and the three guys. I mean, it takes some fucking patience not to throw this Bruce Stern character out the window because he <laughs> is a bit an, a smug I, and annoying and incredibly confrontational. He's irritable. I yeah. think he's suffering from some mild schizophrenia or something because he's deranged. Space madness, like yes. Steve Buscemi yeah. in Armageddon. Well, I but mean, yeah, yeah. I'll go. I'll go to the point of saying these guys are kind of exploited by the corporations that have employed them, mm -hmm. and and that's the thing. It's like they're they're kind of given this, and there's not there's no real backstory like well, how these guys got into this line of work, but there's a sense of like we kind of got roped into something that was a lot more you know bark than bite, and and a lot mm. more promise than than reward. And mm. and so yeah, everybody's kind of feeling screwed over, but as as the Bruce Stern character says, you know, Lowell Freeman says, you know, I got into this for different reasons than you guys. Uh, he's there to really preserve nature, and they were just there to make a buck. And I think that's that's kind of a difference. You know, do you feel called to your work, whatever it is, or are you just there to, you know, you know, skim the cream off the top, make the money, and and get on out of here, whatever, whatever damage that work might actually. Uh, result in i got the mm -hmm. feeling the other guys were kind of like truckers it's like the, yeah yeah the guy's an alien you know like space truckers yeah mm -hmm. but i mean it's it's, it's also uh, it's I mean, it's a screenplay it's not trying to it, it's not i don't think it's trying to be subtle but i think it's that's kind of how screenplays it's, it's like avatar you know mm. it's so black and white you know yeah. these people are bad and it's so perhaps with kind of films like that you haven't you haven't got time necessarily to kind of build these characters and there is one of them who's a little bit more kind of likable i can't remember his name but i mean he, he he's you know he's he does kind of reach out to kind of lull yeah. a little bit and he tries to be a little nice but the, the point the is the guy in the red jumpsuit to... the one who actually yeah, yeah, yeah. freeman kills with his hands physically right yeah mm. yeah and the point is you're not meant to like them because i mean it's something I'm, we're, we'll get to no doubt in a bit but when he does start bumping them off you're not supposed to care about them you're not meant to see him as this kind of murderer you're meant to see him as kind of i think like a, a almost kind of like a a freedom fighter in the way you know he's he's doing he's doing something for the for the for what he sees as a great good and offering these guys right. isn't a bad thing and the screenplay just wants you to say look these people are awful what he's trying to do is save the fluffy rabbits and the the nice little animals well and, he's he's trying to save life i mean these guys are just following yeah. orders they're just they're just the you know the conformists the suck-ups that that basically just do what they're told and not even think about the consequences and and lowell freeman is saying guys if we follow this direction if we blow this up it's over it's done and we just can't let that happen so that's that kind of rebellious uh a cut against the grain which I think is why this movie can appeal to both liberals and conservatives who see themselves in sort of opposition to the prevailing status quo based on <laughs> kind of where you live and the people surrounding you. Like Hunter, you know, down in Texas, uh, you know, he's got a different, you know, context than maybe uh, you or I do, Tom, just to think about our well, well, social I politics. I identify with, like, his need to preserve something. Like, I think, yeah. you know... We as cinephiles, we love, like, the preservation of film, you know? Sure. Or if you're into music, you know, you listen to vinyl records or something, whereas people would or be like, why don't you just listen or whatever. to it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, like, you know, why don't you just listen to an MP3 player? Come on. Why do you want to eat something that came out of the ground? But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't think the movie necessarily condones 
uh, Bruce Stern's radicalization, where he starts killing people. Like, right, he comes right. off no, it, as quite yeah, crazy. it does show. It does. It does show later on. He's definitely struggling with. He's what remorseful, he did. I mean, and yeah, Bruce Stern yeah. even says in the extras that you know Lowell, at the end, you know he uh, blows himself up. And he says like you know Bruce Stern has committed like you know an unforgivable sin, and therefore his character. He says like therefore he has to die at the end of the movie. Like he can't get away <laughs> with that. Like that's what Bruce Stern says in the interview. It's the last fragments of the code, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> No, but, I mean, uh, yeah. It, it, no, so no, it's one of the things. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was having this discussion with someone the other day, and um, there was they have this thing in Britain where if they have like these government petitions, and if a hundred thousand people sign them, um, then it, that kind of government ministers have to talk about it. And one of the ones that came up about a year ago now was should they bring back capital punishment? And a thousand pe a hundred thousand people signed yes. So they had a debate about it. And I was talking to a friend, and I said. If they were to bring back capital punishment, I would seriously consider resorting to acts of civil disobedience. And we were sort of talking about how far would you go? And it, it, it became quite a, a strange conversation. My friend was like saying, well, you know, what would you do? And I said, well, were, were the, the minister that brought it back to be kidnapped? I would say that was legitimate. And it was my memory was like, you're some sort of terrorist. And I said, no, it's just how, you know, how far do you go? And I think this film very... I think brilliantly in a way kind of suggests that, you know, there is, I, I don't know it's about condoning it, but I, I certainly think it, it sort of shows that in order to sometimes do things, perhaps pacifism isn't the way forward because he has, in order to kind of save these, you know, the fluffy rabbits and things, he has to do some pretty bad things for a greater good. And I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. It's not well, afraid to kind of go to slightly dark places. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can see he's wrestling with this. I mean, it's not, labored over but but lowell freeman understands the, the magnitude of what he's contemplating he's going to kill his partners which you know even though he's maybe different from them in some ways he still feels an affinity for i mean he plays poker they hang out he knows that you know once he you know seals that lock and locks those guys in that in that pod that's about to blow up you know he's he's committed the deed but there's a larger principle of of life beyond just you know person to person human to human at stake here and you know even in a sense of of how much do you just surrender to corporate control in in making those ethical decisions that determine the course of your life i think that's and that's that's it's a very minor text perhaps but it's it's part of this you know that early 70s mentality you know how much do you sell out or how much do you you know, just go along with the, with the bosses, and that that's a value that I think still carries over to today. Mm. We're talking about like themes of preservation, but the kind of thought of progression or um, like progress being the fact that we have to move forward. We have to like we're not going to be on Earth for eternity. We're going to have to seek out other planets because humanity is growing, and it's. I don't I don't necessarily agree that preservation is always the proper way to go. And perhaps this film uh is kind of blind to um the sense that we have to sometimes we have to leave things behind to go forward. Yeah. Because it seems like it seems like <laughs> like wh why are they really conserving this force? It has no value except sentimental values and 
Hang on, hang on. It's not sustainable. No, well, hang on though. I mean, he's you know, from what we understand of the Earth, it's a complete barren wasteland, and perhaps this could be the the one kind of salvation the Earth has to kind of get it back to somewhere where it was. And how? Well, perhaps I don't know. They could get back to Earth, take cuttings. And then yeah, replant the seeds, things. I don't know. Yeah, the pine cones, yeah, yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's totally fine. But they should have, like, it should have been co- incorporated into the movie that somehow this was um, this was a scientific experiment, or th- they were doing this for a reason. It seems like they're just preserving it for the sake of preservation. I got the impression that Earth was like just sort of like they describe it in an almost utopian manner, where mm. <clears throat> oh yeah yeah. Everywhere the temperature is like LA, like seventy five degrees. Yep, right. Yeah. Uh, every, there's no poverty. There's no hunger. <laughs> everybody's got a job. It just it's paved over, seems, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he seems to to lament that the Earth has kind of become this homogenized thing. It's mm-hmm. like I almost imagined it like almost like a concrete jungle, like yeah. you know, yeah. like. Uh, you know, this big suburban kind of, corporate wasteland. You know, there's like, manufacturing. I, I when I thought of Earth, I thought of the 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 city from uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, like very seventies <laughs> vision of the futuristic architecture, like, like, orange <laughs> or something. <yeah. laughs> no, I know, I know, I know what you mean. I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like a giant shopping center. Yeah, That's it what does. Earth That's sound, what it and it, yeah, like. just 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 awful. And um, yeah, you know, people become drones. He's talking about like the rubbish food they eat and things like that. And yep. yeah, it's. You know, it doesn't sound like a particularly great place. I suppose, you know, not having any poverty and everyone having a job. But, I mean, most people hate their jobs anyway. So if everyone's got a job, <laughs> everyone would be pretty miserable, aren't they? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying, Joachim, but I, I think there is a, a – it's, I think preservation – all right, you can kind of go too far. But I think in this case, I mean, there's this sort of sense that, you know, this that's what the earth was. I mean, long before what kind of we you know, humans were around, it was, you know, a jungle. I think it's only because we've kind of sculpted it to our kind of – lifestyles and i i think this film is kind of a a, a big wake-up call in a way it's kind of saying mm-hmm. you know, perhaps we did should did you know should do more to protect this planet and you know just because you know everyone likes a job and wants to live somewhere nice doesn't mean we should be bulldozing down trees for the sake of it sure mm-hmm. right well yeah i mean like you know Joni mitchell's big yellow taxi you know pave paradise put up a parking lot that's kind of, that was kind of a a popular sort of concept at the time and again going back to my childhood and those formative influences so i think in a way douglas trumbull uh who i think really is the mastermind behind not only the the technical aspects of this film but but the story itself i mean he wrote the treatment and and it developed into what it is um no, you know, michael Cimino worked on it well, yeah. as well. Right, well that's the thing that yeah that's 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 the other kind of a- aspect of this is is this magnet of talent that it it it, it created you know with with uh you know uh PDQ Bach, Michael Chicolet as a yeah. uh, Peter Chicolet as the as the composer as the musician and you know Joan Baez kind of getting roped in to do a couple tracks and I mean there's there's a really fascinating sort of seedbed of of future uh, influence and, and impact that that was in on this project and that's what truly I guess you know I'll just kind of backpedal a little bit here when I first heard that Masters of Cinema had released this. It's like really what you know because I I think that this is like a, this kind of geeky, pimply faced adolescent sci-fi flick you know but actually <laughs> but but you know there's a lot more uh, you know heft to this project than than I gave it credit for based on my you know childhood memories of it 
like I say, with, with Chimino and 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 Stephen Bochco, who had a ma- massive career in in TV later on, you know. So there's I all these people who kind of Bach worked on this, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, that, that's that's just amazing. And and then and then even you know the models, the technical work in Trumbull, and 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 how it worked as a predecessor to films like Star Wars and you know, even Logan's Run and another kind of monumental sci-fi films of that era. Uh, you know, this is this is a pretty pivotal entry into the canon, if you will. So, uh, you know, this this film appealed to a certain mindset at a certain place and time. And as I listened to the commentaries of both Bruce Dern and uh, Doug Trumbull, neither of them really got into the philosophy of the film quite as much as I thought they might have. It's like they've kind of made their peace with corporatism and and big business and all that. So. You know, there, there's still kind of a sentimental carryover from the the ethos of that era, but uh, yeah, I I would agree with Joachim in the sense that this is pretty ham-handed and pretty simplistic, and so maybe coming into it completely fresh and not having seen it before, it might be a little bit hard to bear. <laughs> but I I'm just nostalgic <laughs> like that, you know. But the the moment I think that exemplifies my view is the moment when. Joan Baez, she starts singing Rejoice in the Sun. Oh, yeah. And then Bruce Jern, he walks into the forest, and a fucking eagle lands on his arm. <laughs> it is a little <laughs> Jesus robe here, right? It's, it's an amazing moment. I mean, that, that kind of encapsulates my view yeah, of it. Yeah, well, you know, they have yeah. him in a robe like St. Francis, like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just like yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about St. Francis uh, yeah. when I was watching it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest. I mean, when he was kind of dressed as Jesus, I was like, "Come on!" I was like, you know, all right, he's, he's all, you know, he's, all right, he's, he's doing something noble, but I mean, come on, he's not JC, and to dress him up like that, I think I was just like, "Come on, let, let's right. just kind of take a step back." But I mean, there's some brilliant anecdotes on the commentary. I don't know if, if you heard, but you know, there's kind of like those. Um, they look like crates in 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 the set. They yeah. were actually made by the same company that was producing oh, napalm yeah. for the Vietnam War. Yeah, Dow and they Pentacle. wanted to they want they wanted they wanted to uh, kind of like show their green credentials. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of product placement. Let's let's not fool ourselves. Coca Cola's in there. American Airlines. Dow American Airlines right... is all over this movie. <laughs> right. like those are American Airlines spaceships. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Just like Pan Am in 2001, right? Uh, yeah, Dow Chemicals right here in Michigan. So I'm pretty alert to what they're up to um but yeah that that's that's all part of the bargain as well is that there was some corporate you know involvement in this and trying to soften their image just like we see ads during uh american football games and everything else trying to make us feel good about you know big corporate power there yeah, I mean, you know, that they that they made humane napalm, I'm sure, and that's the kind of the message they were trying to kind of sell in this film. Was, yeah. You're hmm. such a boomer, Dave. Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there yeah. I am, you I'm, know. I'm, I'm just teasing. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> well, in other ways, I do relate more to Gen X, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> but are we are we supposed to feel like sympathy for this um, uh, Freeman character, or because? If we are, I think it's a weird construction of how like scenes follow each other. Like we have the burial scene uh, of the uh, of the three guys, and then right after that we have him laughing and getting on with the drums. That's like two scenes following each other. Yeah, playing poker and and yeah. cracking up. Yeah, and that's the scene that supposedly is the one that stands out to everybody's when the robots are showing each other their cards. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it, like it, the, like the scenes that follow each other it, it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to um say to us that uh, this guy is uh, all there he's you know? become dehumanized in a way he's yeah. he's more mm. about this principle than he is about compassion toward his fellow beings yeah yeah although does it i mean because i definitely got really sad when he ran over the robot and i was like it's a robot yeah. what, what the heck you know ripped from the ship and he's like explaining to them this is why you got to be careful <laughs> well i mean it's, it's one of those things it's it's, 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 it's it, it, i can only relate it back to the last gulf war where they were like saying you know there's been x amount of casualties this th- today and blah blah and then yeah. they said, and then a, a marine dol- mine clearance dolphin had been killed. And I, <laughs> I, I literally burst into tears. And I thought, something's very wrong here. That I, c- I can literally watch like civilians being bombed, you know, the list of dead American British soldiers. And then a dolphin dies. And I'm like, oh, no. And it's like, and that's how, and I think sometimes, it's, I don't know. It's, I, it's actually, a, a, there is some sort of phenomenon where like, if you see like people, humans react more like, you know, when you see like a, a, a picture of a starving child. You react to it more if you oh. than if you saw like loads. Or so. I can't remember what it's called, but it's well, this sort it's of Ace strange kind of. Ace in the hole talks about that. You know, one stranded miner is is gripping, but a hundred hmm. dead in the mine shaft. Like, yeah. Nobody cares about that. You know, it's that. Well, it's, 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 it's like that, the it, Philippines. You know, like yeah. you see those numbers in the the dead in the Philippines, and it's so big you just can't even get your head around it. Right. But yeah, one yeah. person, you can like relate to that one person. You exactly. Know? Yeah. And poor little that poor dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> And its handler actually said it gave its life for God and America. And I thought, no, it probably didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It probably didn't. It just swam into the mine. and They went there. It it thought it was going to get a a, a mackerel for diffusing a mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then, yeah, this poor thing. Well, I'm kind of curious about the whole interaction between uh, human and artificial intelligence. I mean, that, that theme has been played out and extrapolated upon in many different ways but this you know that i mean 2001 again is such a precursor to this film mm. in terms of the interaction between the characters there and, and how yeah, the computer uh and then and then you've got this here which again serves as a a real kind of uh placeholder until we get into luke skywalker and r2d2 and c3po and star wars which Lucas, you know, himself basically admitted to lifting straight from this film. You know, the the idea of cute, lovable little, you know, munchkin-sized robots. I thought they uh, were the, that, the, that the, the audience could from the hidden fortress. Well, it's 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 mix and match. You know, it's putting it all together, and that's where you find the cinematic gold. But I mean, I think I, I mean I would say one of the things about the robots, and I think one of the reasons why I kind of react to them as well, is because they do. I mean, they, there's actual humans in them, isn't there? I think they had amputees yeah. playing the parts. And it, when you when you watch, I mean, um, you know, those those I don't want to have to invoke them, but I'm obviously going to have to the, the Star Wars prequels. You, and you see like they're clo- so clearly like CGI, you know, R two D two and things like that. I don't react, I don't relate or react to that like mm. I should. Have. I think when this when there, there is that sort of element of kind of human, before, their movements, although they're designed to look mechanical you can tell that's that's muscles working yeah. there yeah and then you listen to the you know commentaries that obviously clarifies everything but there's there's a there's an aliveness to those robots that they're not just little you know gadgets that are pre-programmed like you know the the robotic arms that play pool or do the surgery that's not quite as effective as the drones themselves you know mm. 
uh, like you know, you can tell that the robotic arm that shoots the pool balls didn't really make a skillful shot. It was just kind of placed there. It, it did its mechanical thing, and that was that. And so we're supposed to ooh and ah to that. Well, we do to a, a certain extent, you know. <laughs> exactly. But but these drones, there was a there was a pulsating heart somewhere inside that case there's a and that's person what... with no legs inside there <laughs> yeah yeah right right i mean that's that's the real mind blower once you learn that and that these are mostly teenagers right i mean that's that was kind of astonishing to me that these are 16 17 18 year old kids inside there hmm. who were having to deal with a pretty major you know life changer at a very young age like one hmm. of them was a person who like lost their legs in vietnam and gone up to a mine yeah. or something Yep. You know. He got them. He got them napalmed off, and then that yeah. company, like by that company, But I've been watching a lot of uh, Star Trek, uh, the original series, and uh, that is definitely another precursor to this one. And just in terms oh, yeah. of like violent uh, environment messages and like society and stuff like that. Yeah, that whole peaceful, progressive let's work it out let's make yeah. this world a better place type of message and you know this this is part and parcel of that whole movement you know and and i think again this this movie stands in quite a contrast to a lot of the other you know mainstream cinema of its time it really was an independent picture you know they talk about kind of universal's conscious decision to say okay here's a million bucks go out and make a movie give us the next easy rider and uh you know show us what you got guys and so a lot of young filmmakers and, and other technicians, artists, uh, you know, crew members and actors, let's talk about Bruce Dern maybe a little bit, uh, you know, they, they really got launched in this film. I mean, for Bruce Dern, he'd been done, done what, what, 20-odd films, but he'd always been in these bit parts, this kind of maniacal, villainous, off-the-hinge type of guy. And he definitely shows his <laughs> off-the-hinge side early <laughs> on, especially, but, but early throughout the whole film. So... Even though he did get a leading role, he's still a little bit typecast, it seems to me. Uh, though it seems that he's very grateful for the opportunity. And, you know, let's face it, he's had a pretty impressive career ever since. Well, he's had a bit uh, of a renaissance lately. He's got yeah. that. He's, he's yeah. a front runner for, with Nebraska. They're saying he's getting a lot of Oscar buzz for that. Apparently, yeah. he's going, Deadline Hollywood's reporting that he's a name being tossed around for a lead in the new Tarantino movie. He was just in Django Ooh. Unchained, and apparently sure. Tarantino's next movie, The Hateful Eight, he's going to play a bigger role in that. Hmm. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. I mean, what a what a what a full turnout for for a, a guy who really was kind of on the fringes. I mean, he could have almost disappeared at this point if this if this had not given him the jolt that it did. Mm. How do you feel about his performance, uh, Tom, in this film? Um, yeah, I mean, I. I, I do enjoy it. Like you said, I think it's it's not trying to be subtle, and there is that sort of. I know what you mean about him kind of being sort of slightly schizophrenic. This is a mad eye performance, I <laughs> call it, because he's just like totally looks completely wired. Um, <laughs> I, I think the problem I have with the film about after about kind of an hour and a bit, I think it's when it kind of starts to grind grind to a halt a little bit, where mm. he's yeah. playing cards with them, and it's sort of it's just plodding really, trying to get to that end bit. But it, it, the thing that sort of gets me is it's like the people on the radio who he's talking to are so nice. Yeah, <laughs> and they're, they're desperate to save him. They're like, "Come on, buddy, we're going to get there. You know, we're not going to give up on you. You know, on all this kind of thing." 
and you sort of think and, and he's, he's trying to con him the whole time yeah, 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 yeah like, kind of like you know they, they, they seem genuinely concerned for him and it, that's when i think after a while you know i would say that's one of the main problems with the film it, it sort of gets that stage and thinking oh come on you know and I, he does sort of realize you know that he's, he's the way he's been but his performance is yeah it's a strange one because i i I don't think he's an, a massively sympathetic character in a way. I think what he stands for is bigger than the character, and mm. from that, that's how, that's why I like him. And I think in the performance, yeah, it's a bit crazy, and it's a bit out there, and yeah, like obviously for people like you, heartless um, <laughs> Norwegian. I mean, it must be it must be the cold that keeps you so kind of like. You well, know, they listen just, to a lot uh, of black metal up there, so yeah. that is true. I mean, like, yeah, true. It's, a, it's a weird place. Norway's a weird country. You know, that's, there's no it produces weird people, and obviously you're like that. And I think that's and I think you know, it's. I, I can I can forgive the sort of the kind of the craziness of the performance and just kind of go along with it. I'm quite happy to be exploited sometimes in film. <laughs> it's the same. It's, it's, it, it, I always kind of when I, when I think of him, I think of Avatar, and it's that sort of film. It's so unsubtle; it just knocks you over the head. The performances are so bad in it. Yet I quite like Avatar, you know, and that's mm. how I feel about this film. I'm able to kind of get over these kind of nitpicks, I suppose. I think mm. it's a little more nuanced than Avatar. <laughs> oh, like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. know about I think a that, little. But... I think a little bit because I don't think it completely condones what his character does. <laughs> like whereas, like whereas in Avatar, it's like it's like by all means kill them all. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please do. I can see that in the in the final moment when he sort of realizes that he misses humanity, but he still like sacrifices himself for the survival of the forest. Mm. Well, I think actually there is a there is a, a point to be made actually when he's obviously playing cards with the robots. You can see him going crazy. And I think there is perhaps something saying that you know we do need to have kind of other people around, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in order to kind of have a fulfilling life. You know, you do need to have other human beings around. It's like I mean, I you know one of the, one of the reasons that I do enjoy going to work is because I, I like the people I work with. I like being around them. You know, they're, they're all a good fun, good bunch of people. And it's one of the kind of yeah, you, you. I suppose it's kind of one a thing about human nature. I don't think we're meant to be solitary all the time. Don't get me wrong, no, I do we're enjoy very being on my own. Creatures, you know, like. People go. That's why people go nuts when they get like cabin fever in like mm-hmm. snowed in areas. I kind of wish that the film had focused more on that, on his like descent into madness, because that's the kind of aspect that I found that I hinged onto on my second viewing of this film. To be brutally honest with you, though, I think he was pretty far out before he started going mental. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's like. I don't think it's too great. I, I I don't think there was too far to fall. Basically, I think this guy probably had issues. Yeah, before perhaps. long before this. Okay. Well, it's kind of interesting that you talk about this descent into madness because I think about movies more uh, latter day kind of hard sci fi movies like Sunshine or Moon uh, mm-hmm. that have come out in the last few years. <clears throat> you know, and the, I, I really appreciate both of those films in particular um, because they kind of keep that hard sci fi element alive. But at the same time, I, I I wish they didn't have to descend into sort of this kind of maniacal crazy adventure horror kind of wildness towards the conclusions because one of the things i like about silent running is that it sort of maintains that kind of placid you know quiet mysterious aspect of space uh being out there in the farther reaches of the solar system without having to resort to this kind of thriller type of you know conventions mm-hmm. i mean it, it, it ends up obviously in a huge explosion and all of that but it doesn't like have to ramp up the adrenaline there is that kind of mundane aspect which i know is in some ways it does make that last half hour a little bit of a slog but it's only a 90 minute movie so it's not like we're really asking yeah. to sit through a whole lot but but they don't they don't have to ramp it up so to speak whereas i think both moon and sunshine I mean, 
I, I went along for the ride. I enjoyed it, but it's like, ah, uh, they, they had to do that just to kind of keep today's audience engaged, I guess. And, and I like that kind of quieter style of, of sci-fi. Another film that we haven't talked about, but is uh, John Carpenter's Dark Star, oh, that's which is one. more of a comedy. <laughs> but it's like, I just love that mundane, you know, boring as hell, sitting out <laughs> in space, nothing's happening aspect to to these types of movies. I like movies that like just highlight the isolation of like, you are really yeah. fucking far away from everything. <laughs> and yep. it's going to make you crazy. Like, if you watch the extras on Dark Star, the, like John Carpenter's talking about like, Space travel sucks. Like <laughs> it's yeah. cramped. It's exactly. cold. It's boring. Like you know, like it takes forever. I mean, if you any of you have a guy seen? It's a Russian film called How I Ended This Summer. No, I haven't I seen have it yet. Seen no. It, no, no, no. I watch commie movies. Yeah, no, no, check that out because it's about these like two guys who are part of an uh, you know an uh, Arctic kind of research station, and they one of them, but basically one of them starts to go a little bit crazy, but it's. It's kind of what you were saying, David. It's not kind of screamy, shouty, bellowing crazy. It's that kind of, I miss my wife, I'm bored, and I want to go home. Yeah. And if you perhaps kind of get, you know, if you keep thinking about it too much, it can send you a little bit kind of over the edge. And it's it's a brilliant film because it, it kind of, it, I've never been in that situation, but I dare say it's a lot more sort of realistic than this sort of howling at the moon type of madness yeah. that kind of yeah. you sort of see well, in films. Well, and I mean, Jack just to, Nicholson just, in The Shining, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, right. but there is an argument to me. There's a supernatural element on that, I think. But no, oh, true, true. Well, so, Solaris too. I mean, that's another kind of slowly going bonkers type of out in space film. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I, I still like that, and I, I would love to see a, a modern rendition of that. I guess Moon is like that in some. Ways. I mean, yeah. Just, I mean, to talk to me, talk about Moon been briefly. I mean, that's a film that everyone was like, "Oh, you got to see it. It's brilliant. It's amazing." And I was a bit like, "Yeah, I enjoyed it," but it kind of for the reasons you were saying, David, I just get, it started to get to the point where I was like, "I'm not believing this anymore. It's just getting a bit well, my, too." Yeah. The thing about well, and I think there one influence this movie had on Moon was him being buddies with the robot, yeah, voiced by Kevin Spacey. Mm. Yeah. But my thing with Moon, though, the problem I had with Moon was that, like five minutes in, I guessed what the big turn was, and then mm. when it happened, I was like, "Ah." Oh, popcorn refill there yeah. <laughs> yeah. i just kind of went okay he's uh you know he's this and that's that and i just when it when i was confirmed i was like oh i was just kind of bored after that you know <laughs> like that that whenever you see a movie and you kind of figure it all out really quick and uh, but i need to watch it again with that knowledge if the whole point of the movie is to be this big twist and you've got it figured out already, it's like, well, what else is there? Right. It's it's you like know? if you're watching The Sixth Sense and you just immediately go, oh, Bruce Willis is dead. You just, yeah. you're just waiting what? for the movie to catch up with you. Sorry. But I guess that's kind of where I, uh, I'm a bit more on time side in, in just the, the pace of the film. It kind of, uh lackluster for me especially in the end i mean i find i find the story interesting but just the plot and the filmmaking that's or not the filmmaking but just in terms of um some of the performances and uh how the editing uh, is uh put into play I, it just doesn't it just doesn't work with uh for me uh, it doesn't hold much replay value for me either actually i mean i i I, I sort of disagree. I really, I, I really like the way this film's directed. I'm a big fan of a bit of a musical montage. Right, you can take mm. what's her name out the singing. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that does sort of make it thing. But I, yeah, I, I, I enjoy how this film's directed. I think it's, it's competent. I mean, have you, have you guys seen um, Brainstorm? 
the, I haven't, but I want to. Uh, no, I've I've heard about the stuff Doug Trumbull did with like changing the yeah the, the aspect, like, aspect ratios ratio. yeah. and like shooting this part on seventy and this part on thirty five and yeah, all that's... that stuff. And I was just like, man, you know, like you watch the extras on this and he talks about like all of his experiments with like messing with the medium of cinema and it's just like this guy was like really the theme just... park rides and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, Although i was kind yeah, of just... like you know don't i was like i was like don't be shocked that critics didn't call your theme park ride like yeah yeah that was <laughs> but i was thinking though like this is a guy who really is like a visionary even like if his ideas don't really push cinema forward ultimately he's still a guy who's like trying out new things and experimenting well he's and a I technician is what yeah. he is i mean i mean he, he and he really he puts the tools of the medium to, to to their test and some of it works i mean because you know a lot of us are still conventional moviegoers we go to the theater we sit down we want an hour and a half to two hours or three hours of entertainment based on the subject matter and he's looking to press it in different directions so you know, I, I was impressed or kind of intrigued by the idea that Bruce Dern says he's worked with two geniuses in his career. You know, Hitchcock, when he was a kind of an expert, not an expert, but, but you know, had a minor support role in Family Plot, you know, Hitchcock's last film. And Douglas Trumbull, he makes that point like several times in the various, you know, commentaries and tracks that he does there. So he obviously has a pretty high opinion of Doug Trumbull, but, you know, Doug Trumbull is not going to go down as one of the great auteurs of all time well, he only he's, made two movies like as a director right right but but he's obviously had a lot of impact in his own way so exactly no he, he's he one of the great geniuses it's just yeah. but yeah. let me say this before i leave it uh, on to you um i think i think that the movie it shows like trumbull's highly gifted uh skills as an effects craftsman yeah I mean, yeah. this film looks incredible, and just in terms of the shots and the models and the scope of it, uh, in space and sense of scale and size, uh, yeah. I think that is like the top-notch stuff. And uh, even the I, rings of Saturn and the the you know the star back. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, there's a scene where I think the spaceship goes behind Saturn and Saturn blocks out the sun. There's like a kind of you know eclipse almost. And even today, mm. I mean, I was watching it earlier and I you know got a 15 inch telly. I was like, that is, it's amazing, and I, it, it's. One of the things I mean, I was watching Man of Steel again today, and I just don't react to that film at all. The fighting stuff, like, cause I know it's CGI. I don't have it. I, I can't kind of get yeah, into it. No yeah, and I don't. I don't feel. You know, if, I know if you know people flying through buildings and the building exploding. It's so clearly fake. I don't have any reaction to it. I watched that and I was like, oh my god! You know, I actually was moved by the effect. And I mean, people will watch this and go, oh, it looks so dated and awful. I mean, you know, the youth of today you know bless them they're not not the best are they and they'll be watching this saying it looks (laughs) awful but it's like to me i i I watch it i'm in awe of it really i think it's amazing i'd love to have seen it on the just the cool stuff they right the cool stuff they i mean they took a a freaking u.s uh navy aircraft carrier and transformed it into the spaceship you know they put all this foam and vinyl and you know different cutouts and stuff i mean it's just the coolness of of what they were able to do on a very shoestring budget i mean a million bucks you yeah. know but 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 they they created this amazing artifact through all kinds of sleight of hand and so I mean, that ingenuity in itself is a, well, there's, there's a lot of respect that, that's something i wanted to get to was like on the they talk T- trumbull talks about how they did a lot of this stuff on the extras like the domes were like a garage in canoga park uh like it, like <laughs> an the, aircraft the, hangar right yeah, yeah it is just like uh the to get Bruce Stern like swimming in the thing, he was like, "Oh, we bought a kiddie pool 
and we did the stuff. I was like, it just sounds so simple when he talks about it. I'm like, geez, yeah. you were able to <laughs> create this thing out of like, you know, some, some, like a million bucks and in a garage. It's crazy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the lighting, the the monitors, you know, the 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 shaky cam. You know, just all kinds of. I mean it's a catalog of low budget you know you can do this too <laughs> if you're <laughs> focused enough and you want to make a make an impressive uh you know low budget sci-fi flick yeah this was made for under a million dollars wasn't it yes well i think it, it resulted a little bit over a million they did they, they'd go a little bit over budget hmm. but it was still i mean you know <laughs> light years ahead of its I mean, time, if, 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 it, no, if it was made today this film this would be a 60 million dollar film at least, yeah. At least, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It would all, yeah. It'd be crazy, and I think that it kind of shows, really, perhaps in certain aspects, you know, how kind of films cost too much money nowadays. You know, mm. you can sort of make them for a lot less. You know, but people there's a there's a lot of indulgence that definitely exactly. You know, now you you now you know these kind of special effects you'd obviously have to kind of you'd have more kind of rings of satin and all that kind of thing, and it, you know, it doesn't need it. And I think this film just shows really you know, with decent effects. I mean, I watched. Um, I made the mistake of going back to a film over Christmas that I hadn't seen for a long time, which was Disney's The Black Hole. And I used to love that film oh, as a yeah. kid. And I watched it and I was just yeah. like, oh my God, this film. The ages of four to nine are a write-off now. But I was watching it thinking, <laughs> the effects in that film are absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, they're genuinely incredible. And I was thinking, God, you know, they're talking of remaking it. I think the guy who did Tron Legacy or something might be attached to it. And I was thinking, it would just be a, a CGI shit fest and this film you, know, you believe one of the i mean maximilian the robot is still scary and he's scary he's scary because he's real you know you sort of see it coming towards the actors and you think god that would scare me it would be, if you did now it would be cgi and it wouldn't be scary it's like when i was watching man of steel earlier i thought i don't i can't connect to this film i don't i don't feel the kind of the immediacy of the danger i don't feel i don't it doesn't it's not real to me this film it, it looks t- when you see him driving around on that kind of crazy kind of quad thing yeah, he's he's actually doing that, you know, and I, yeah, I, I think it's for that alone. I think it's definitely worth checking out. Although the guy who directed Tron Legacy, in his defense, did do Oblivion, which not a great script, but it did have a lot of good practical effects in it that you don't see a um, lot. Peter, have an intruder. Is that, is that your werewolf? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, no, it's not mine. That's Hunter's. That, uh... That's my bloodhound. <laughs> oh, right, the one that you go and savage animals with and applaud. Yeah, no, actually, he's a little dog since. <laughs> We were talking about like overindulgence, and I remember I was listening to David Fincher's commentary on House of Cards, and he talked about uh, there was a, like a scene in uh, in a subway or something waiting for the train, and uh, he talked about the line producer. There, this was a scene with two people, Kevin Spacey and uh, and um, Kate Mara, I think, and the line producer they had like. 17 trucks outside with lights and cameras and this like is simple scene with they used almost no lighting and it just speaks to the whole thing that yeah like movies today they are uh, completely out of proportion yeah i mean everything here pretty much you know one take i mean i'm sure there, there's there's some well they talked about a little bit about the filming ratio is like just a little bit over two to one so there was not a whole lot of wasted footage. They they had to be very efficient, very on top of their game, and uh, you know just just the you know, the very prudent uh, approach that they took to just getting this film down. They got the story, they they executed it, and they made it happen. Uh, to me, that's another sort of you know just a, a mark of credit that it deserves to <laughs> to put a message out there and to 
to sort of mark a new frontier in sci-fi cinema because I, I do feel, you know, obviously you can compare this to 2001 and say, well, 2001 was bigger in scale and you know, certainly took a lot longer to make and probably broke through more uh, you know, frontiers of filmmaking. But, but Silent Running is a way of, of making sci-fi relatively on the cheap that kind of paved the way for you know, some developments, some of which are, are great, maybe some of which are a little bit less fortunate. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of the sort of blockbusterization of, of film that's that's happened since the Star Wars era, but I don't know that you can blame it entirely on Star Wars itself. I mean, Star Wars didn't set out to change everything. It just set out to make a, a great, you know, kick-ass adventure thriller movie that everybody could relate to. Um, the studios themselves have taken that formula and just milked it to the point of exhaustion. But I think, you know, before all that happened, uh, Silent Running you know, kind of created uh, a new template for how you can, you know, put visuals on screen that, you know, people had not really imagined and make them look very, very persuasive, very compelling. I mean, again, you know, we've already talked about the, the model work, but I, you know, it is, it's, it's eye candy, just the, the intricacies of, of, of the details, both of the of the big exterior model shots and, and the interiors of you know creating something that's beyond the you know the really you know corny UFO spaceship models of the fifties and sixties that preceded it. So uh, you know there there was some cool stuff that went on here, and uh, you know that's why I guess I'm, I'm glad that Masters of Cinema decided to that this film was indeed worthy of their uh, of their imprimatur there. Mm. And it's good to have a science fiction film, I think, which is about humans and there's no kind of aliens in it or yeah. that kind of thing. It's a film It's a film about humanity eh? without the kind of the, yeah. you know, the the distractions sometimes of, you know, having the kind of, you know, it's a good science fiction. I find films like Contact, I think, is a brilliant science fiction film. A, 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 a great a, movie. Yeah. I think it's a masterpiece, actually. And I think one of the things I like about that, it, it kind of takes the inherent wonder of what would happen in that situation. And that, that's the story. Mm. You know, the, the, it doesn't, the, the aliens don't come busting through with laser guns you know the sort of the you know it does that well i think silent running is another example of that science fiction where it's it feels actually like it might have some some sort of scientific i suppose kind of credence to it although i'm sure you know the, the fact that you know you'd have to explain where they kind of get the gravity from and things like that but it feels like a proper science fiction film that actually makes a kind of it raises some interesting ideas mm. and you want you obviously it's got all these effects but at the end of the day the very fact that we're talking about kind of environmentalism and, and that those kind of issues i think is a testament to how this film manages to kind of transcend the fact that it's lots of special effects and cutesy robots and obviously fluffy bunnies um <laughs> the first draft of this uh, film actually had aliens in it did you know that oh thanks thanks for ruining my <laughs> anything i just said yes. well that was part of trumbull's trumbull's yes. idea was that there was one human out there and the aliens invaded i think he was thinking still in terms of kind of the the you know the bug-eyed alien sci-fi of the 50s and 60s hmm. you know outer space monsters coming to invade our tranquil earth now he's turning the focus like well let's just think about us earthlings and how are we going to resolve our own problems hmm. Um, but uh, what you were saying about relevancy for today, with all the crap that we're eating, like non-organic, uh, non-local food, yeah. all this processed food, this is definitely something that could be shown in uh, like society 
classes today about attitudes to, uh, towards preservation. Well, and... yeah, it, there was there's a very small point on one of the commentaries where where Trumbull was talking about genetically modified organisms or genetically modified food getting into the uh, into the stream of cattle feed, and that mm-hmm. cows were eating GMOs when that that was an accident of some sort. Well, well, forget the cows. <laughs> We're eating them ourselves now, you know. <laughs> I mean, the, so that commentary was recorded about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And cows eating GMOs is kind of a big deal, or at least some to some people is a big deal. Now it's like that's not even that's not even a point of debate. You know, now it's like, well, what now are we feeding like, our yeah, kids? If you guys are familiar here with the horse meat scandal. I mean, if you, oh, yeah. did, I mean that was mm-hmm. like, you know, it was people just didn't you know, realize and they did these kind of tests on chicken and it was like they were injecting chemicals into chicken breasts so it could absorb more water and it's like it's just disgusting you know, to get the weight up and things like that and mm. it's, it's like there must be you know i mean i try and eat as healthy as i possibly can but obviously it's extremely expensive to buy all the gun and the organic sure stuff is, but yeah. It, it, yeah it's it's quite alarming i think you know the, the stuff that's out there. there was an article today in the paper in fact about stuff that's going into pig feed and basically pigs are, are shitting out super viruses because of all the absolute crap they're being fed themselves <laughs> and it's sort of you know, you're sort of thinking you know, why isn't this a bigger issue i, I sometimes i was saying to someone the other day you know i don't understand kind of what i I don't understand where the outrage is. A lot of times, you know, it's like sort of should you know should we be more concerned? I don't know. You know, is it concerning that they inject chicken with you know chemicals to absorb more water? I don't know. You know, and they they say oh it's safe, and you just sort of take their word for it. You know, but I think that you know there's people should be perhaps a little bit more aware that this type of thing goes on. That's one again. That's one of when those guys are eating that food, they don't care. I'm as guilty as I you know I eat a KFC occasionally. You know, you know what I mean? It's like I don't and you I I know exactly what I'm doing, and you, you sort of think to yourself, well, you know. Perhaps I should be a little bit more kind of alarmed over this. I don't know. Well, there's no free lunch in nature, so it is kind of... Yeah, yeah we, 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 you, I mean, we, you, you know all about that, all the things you shoot and film and stuff. Hey, I didn't Hunter inject the that with anything. I went out, I went out, I killed it, and I ate it, and it was 100% natural. Yeah, right? you can't get more organic than that. No, it's the Ted Nugent scar. I mean, you know your obsession with that guy. I mean, I'm not... This is the one who's obsessed with him. I just like some of his albums. I've never really read not. any of his books. Yeah, it's I've a, never it's read a, Ted White and Blue. <laughs> it's a manual for living for him. No, I mean, I, I yeah, it is. That, yeah, it's that's the thing. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, like I said, you know, I love animals and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm a complete hypocrite. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the piss out of Hunter for shooting a deer and eating it. Yeah, I'll go and buy you know meat that's been mm. some poor animal has you know, lived in squalor and then you know, <laughs> just misery its entire existence and then and then think that's perfectly acceptable i can smell a chili that's being made for me right now and i know <laughs> the cow that's gone into that has suffered horrendously but i'll still gobble it up you know and it, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a fine line and you can obviously become a complete hypocrite like i'm <laughs> hey can um, i read to you the conservationist pledge that's uh do it it's on my screen at this very moment here. It says, Conservation oh Pledge. I give my pledge as an American to save and faithfully defend from waste the natural resources of my country, its soil and minerals, its forests and waters and wildlife. So that's the pledge that uh, Lowell Freeman has right by his little space bed there. And it just happened to be popping up on my screen at this very moment. Uh, well, no, it's, uh, yeah. So can we all salute, uh, put our hands over our hearts and... 
No, I mean, well, I mean, another thing we're having at the moment. I mean, you can be honorary of... Americans at least for a moment there, right? Yeah, I mean, I like, yeah, yeah, I love America. It's a great, it's a great place. But no, it's a debate at the moment. You know, it's about fracking and this sort of thing where um, there's, I can't remember what town it was in America. They've had 310 earthquakes, minor earthquakes, since oh, they started doing this fracking. We have a and major like, crisis going on right now with drinking water in Charleston, West Virginia, where where a coal company basically dumped a bunch of foaming shit into a river, and there's half a million people who can't even drink water, take a bath, cook food, or do anything with their water supply mm. for who knows how long until this thing gets cleared up. Hundreds of people have already gotten sick off it. Anything else you want to dis uh, discuss? Well, uh, let me ask about the release. I mean, again, you know, this is one of those films that Criterion, for whatever reason, is maybe chosen not to pick up. Maybe they don't have the right to. I mean, maybe in America there's more of a sci-fi, you know, geek cult that'll support this film on Blu-ray or DVD outside of the Criterion uh, brand. But, uh, you know, what does is, what is Masters of Cinema offer? I mean, I know they've got a Blu-ray, and I, I guess there's a pretty nice booklet that comes with it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we would find if we were to decide to go uh, with the Masters of Cinema release? I think the extra... Yeah, I have it, and it's amazing. Yeah? Yeah, I think the, I, the first thing I would say about it, actually, is the actual quality of the transfer. Because I think it's a pretty it's a pretty brilliant one actually. Um, it it kind of preserved. They haven't kind of you know scrubbed it up too many. They've kept the kind of you know the filmic elements there, and I think it, look, it looks pretty wonderful. I mean, it's not the brightest of films anyway, but um, I mean we've talked about it at nauseum before. I, I like it when they just kind of improve what's there and not try and tweak it too much. And I oh, think they've been oh, very yeah, respectful right. to the to the transfer. And I think for that alone, I think it's worth picking up. Okay. Uh, does the what? Does the I think it has the same special features? Yeah, the supplements, the the, the disc stuff is all yeah, pretty yeah. much carried over, right? Because because I saw that it was done by Laurent Buzero or however you say his name, and he's like the king of of uh, featurettes and documentaries for DVDs over here. And so I was thinking, well, obviously this is old stuff that we're looking at. Um, I really. I don't, I don't, I don't, They've not commissioned anything new for it. I think there's like a yeah. 50s on set making of, and it's one of those kind of... And the, I think it's the Blu-ray like and the commentary. book. Those are, those are the things that you get extra that you don't get on the American DVD. It's just a better transfer and a 48-page mm -hmm. booklet. So, um, yeah. And the booklet's very nice. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. It's... I'm looking through it right now, and it's, uh, and, uh, it's like three articles, one with the director of photography, uh, Charles Wheeler, and the special designs um, guy, Wayne Smith. And also Peter Sch uh, Schickele, okay, something yeah. like that, uh, yeah, the composer the, and conductor. The PDQ um, bot guy, right? Yeah, yeah and I, there's I, a lot yeah. of great uh, photographs and um, sketches in the book as well. You know, you know, another effects genius worked on this movie, uh, John Dykstra. Oh, oh yeah, right. right. But pre-Star Wars, John Dykstra. Right. Uh, just thought that was important to note. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and and also, I, I I guess I do want to give a little bit of a a plug to the the making of silent running the documentary feature that's about a, what, an hour long or so it was it was made yeah, like about 50 it was minutes. very contemporaneous with the making of the film so it really has that to me at least very cool early 70s feel i mean it, it's very you know in the moment so it's not really looking back on the making of this film as this you know future classic or or anything it was just a, a documentary that was made shortly after the film came out and i mean it, it even ends with you know the the crew members kind of getting their lunch from the company buffet truck there so it's just it's very down to earth but i it has kind of that that retro feel to it that i think is is a nice little uh, uh sideline on on, uh, on this film which 
to me is is a landmark and so uh i'm i'm glad that we were able to discuss it today i'm glad that matches of cinema has done it justice and and if criterion ever wants to kind of follow the suit and do a blu-ray i'm sure i will line up and get it but if not i might just decide to go region free one of these days and get my mattress cinema copy because i i do love what, this movie one thing i really appreciate about this release too is it has the original poster art on the yeah. cover <laughs> yeah which i love that poster art i hate the cover for the oh, American it DVD. is suck. It, it really tries to make it look like some kind of 2000s you know that big face of yeah. bruce dern it's like, like a, totally it looks like a thriller like yeah. Like, we're out in space, silent running. Yeah, know? right. You know, laser blasters and, you know, all that. <laughs> you know, space chases. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why, you know, when it comes to like, I mean, Yoko and I discussed it before, but when it comes to sort of, you know, releasing old films on Blu-ray, just stick the original poster on there. Because they mm-hmm. can't do these awful, some can these, these, these just god-awful well, Photoshop jobs. There's, there's some I beautiful, used... like, I mean, my, if you go to my um, Criterion Reflections Facebook page, I actually found a really beautiful deviant art. Uh, fan art that was done of the ships uh, with Saturn in the background. Right. So there's some beautiful art possibilities. Mm-hmm. Like if Criterion were to release it, they would probably commission their own original artwork for the cover. And I could imagine all sorts of, you know, gorgeous, you know, uh, options that they could pursue. But yeah, I like the original poster art because it just kind of gives that that feel for what it was like when a movie first hit the theaters. I mean, I don't think this. I, I personally don't think this is a film that'll end up on Criterion anytime soon. I mean, yeah. I, I was looking at my Criterion kind of films all the other day, and I think, God, there's so many sort of like coming of age tale typey kind of art house things. On, mm-hmm. I thought, God, they should. They should, sometimes I think they're a little bit too snobby some, with their releases. <laughs> and there's no, there's no animation, is there, on Criterion? Well, they're getting into Fantastic um, Mr. Fox. That will be the first one, but that, that's really <laughs> more of a Wes Anderson movie than an animation yeah, that's movie. He, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, I was like, do we really need? that on criteria yeah <laughs> like, i was a bit like that i mean i you know obviously i i, I buy them religiously every month and then some i do, so, I do some, too but and i'm just like oh god do i really have to buy that like, come on <laughs> well we can start uh, wrapping the show up now so sure. um like give me your last uh thoughts on silent running in this release uh david well you know i i think it is it's, I've, I've already said it's a pretty um it's a monumental and very significant sci-fi release. It's a film that I think has a message that, despite its kind of dated and somewhat corny delivery in some ways, there's a lot of beauty in it. And, uh, you know, for younger science fiction fans, maybe it could be a little bit of a wake-up call to the idea that it doesn't have to be all, you know, just kick-ass action and, you know, blood and guts and, you know, craziness. But just... uh a sci-fi film with a little bit of a message, a little bit of heart, and uh, you know, from a different time and place than the world we live in now, but still with a message that that resonates in uh, 2014. Um, Hunter, my thoughts aren't much different. I think I like it more than some of you guys because I don't think it's that dated. Yeah. I don't know, just the Joe Baez stuff and all that. Yeah, sure, but I, I also think it's a little more nuanced. I don't think it's as like heavy-handed as y'all say just because like there is the kind of conflict the character has Mm -hmm. and there is a like a sort of question well is what he did wrong and all of this stuff but um i don't really have much to add other than that i think this blu-ray is great uh if if you want uh, if you have an all-region player it's certainly worth getting uh joaquin was kind enough to send me a copy for all those (laughs) (laughs) criteria (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, I've got a few here now, but yeah. uh, 
we won't go in, into too much detail about that. But, uh, <laughs> Keep it on the down low. Yeah. Behind the scenes <laughs> yeah, crap DL. there, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the IRS but, um, are listening in now, so. <laughs> but it was, like, it was a off. release I always, I mean, I got a all-region player, and this is one of the ones I really wanted to get. And, you know, if you want a high-def version of it, you know, it's well worth tracking down. Yeah, I mean, I can reiterate what I've said before. Yeah, being a sort of a, a, a lefty kind of, you know, go eco- ecology type person, you know, this film speaks to me. It's a film that kind of you know, very much, I think, I, I share its worldview and uh, I, I I like it. I think it's, it is a product of its times. I, I don't think, I mean, mm. it amazes me actually, this film is actually a you uh, in Britain, you know, it's for kids and you have yeah, this kind of guy like, you know, bumping people off. And, well, that's um, when you could I kill people it... <laughs> and swear a little bit and show some blood and still get a G rating here in yeah. the States. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was when, it, was when, it was when killing was all right. And I think that's the thing yeah, I, I do like about it. I think it, it, I, it, you know, we sort of talk about it, it's a product of time. It is a product of its time because it kind of goes to those kind of places where it, it's it, it's not... It, it's not just black and white it isn't afraid to kind of take a few risks and um you know along with the kind of the the brilliant effects i you know all right the kind of joan Byers stuff it's a little bit kind of cringeworthy but i i think it holds up and it i it'll still be a film people were talking about in many many for many years to come so in that respect you know i, I can't really recommend it anymore the first time I saw it, um, I, I liked it fine. I, I think revisiting it, I didn't get much else from it, so it kind of fell in my esteem. But uh, what I really get from it is just the uh, the crafts uh, craftsmanship and like the picture quality and just the look of it. Um, the pacing is what I have issues with, uh, just in terms of uh, the plotting. Uh, but um i would recommend giving it a try at least and the 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 extras on the on the blu-ray is uh, excellent stuff so i don't think you will regret buying this uh buying this film um so uh david where can we find you on the internet well my blog is called criterion reflections it's a project i started in 2009 where i'm going through the whole criterion collection in chronological order i just started the films of 1965 so uh, Suzuki's Story of a Prostitute is next up on my queue. I just began the year with uh, Pierre Tech's Yo-Yo. Mm. And uh, I've got a lot of pretty cool films. Perot Le Fou, uh, Alphaville, a couple of Godars, Kurosawa's Redbeard coming up pretty soon, and just a whole lot of other awesome stuff. Loves of a Blonde by Milos Forman. Uh, I also do a podcast called The Eclipse Viewer. And this coming weekend, my partner Trevor Barrett and I are going to be talking about the Proletariat Trilogy from Aki Korsmaki, so I'm very excited about getting into those films again, as uh, Korsmaki has a new Criterion film, uh, La Vie de Bohème, coming out later this month in January. And I also write for CriterionCast.com, where I just cover various Eclipse series uh, films and miscellaneous reviews, so that's where you can find me, as well as Facebook and uh, Twitter at CriterionRefs, and uh, Instagram at David L. Blakesley. Mm-hmm. And Hunter, plug your shit. All right, I... Uh... I do a podcast called Midnight Movie Cowboys. We um, just did an interview. It'll be up by the time this drops with uh, the, a guy who's making a documentary called Henchman, and it's about Al Leong, the uh, the the long-haired, mustachioed Asian you see in every Asian action movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, him. <laughs> yeah, I told him. I told him you have to splurge and buy the rights to use uh, Paul Simon's. You can call me Al. <laughs> and have Al Leong and Chevy Chase in the end credits. Uh, uh, but no, see, uh, so we have that coming in. That's a that's an interesting episode that'll 
that'll be up by the time this airs. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, Twitter at Hunter Deucing, D is in David, U E S I N G. You can find me there on Instagram as well with that handle. Mm-hmm. And yep. And Tom? Uh, you can find me 24 frames. <laughs> I think Hunter's dying. Um, 24 framescast.blogspot.com. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at 24 framescast. And you can find uh, Master Cinemacast at moccast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter, moc underscore cast. And you can find me at uh, on Twitter at thjoachoa. Um, thank you so much for listening in, and thank you guys for joining us in this discussion. It's been uh, a pleasure. A lot of fun, thanks. Uh, so until next time, this is Joachim and Tom signing off. Bye. Thank you.